Good morning. My name is Lisa, and I'm the discipleship pastor here. And we are continuing through with our deeper series. And a key to growing in emotional health is being able to look at our past and explore how it has shaped us. So that's our topic today, week three, break the power of your past. Now, when I found out I was privileged to get this topic, I remember um, just starting to swirl about it in my head, and I'm like, oh my goodness, God, what, what pieces of my story do you want me to share? I mean, this feels really vulnerable. And so I was, I was pretty anxious about that for a while and, until a moment came where I felt as though the still small voice said, how about we talk about my story first? And then, Lisa, you can talk about your story. I said, noted, God, okay. We will talk about your story first, and then you will uh, feed into to what my story will be in this as well. So, you know, the Bible has much to say about breaking the power of the past, and we're going to look at that together today. Something I want to mention, though, throughout this deeper series is that I realize, and our staff realizes, that a lot of these topics are heavy. You feel that? They're heavy. And so as you're listening to these messages, if there's ever a time where stuff is stirred up inside of you and you're like, this is too much or I, I just need to get a break, you know, feel the freedom to, to get up and go to the restroom or go to the lobby and, and just take a breath of fresh air. That's totally fine. I want you to feel permission to do that. Well, when I say the past, I am mainly considering three areas. If you brought your deeper participant guide with you today to take some notes, uh, these, these three areas are noted on page 19. You could turn there, but I also have them on the screen for us today. So let's go through those. Uh, number one, difficult circumstances or seasons or painful events that have happened to us. So these are things in our lives that has happened that we had no control over. And maybe they still hold us back today and are keeping us stuck. The second one is decisions we've made that have caused pain or regret. So these are self-inflicted. These are things where we just have yet to experience some, some healing and freedom. And the third is what I would call these patterns or curses, qualities that have been passed down to us through our family line or from our family of origin. And those are very significant as well. And we desire for the cycle to end with us. I think it'd be safe to say that if you're human, in which we all are, our lives have been touched by all three of these categories. And maybe we're sitting in the reality or one of one or all three this morning. But I'm curious, as you think about these three areas, um, what kind of work have you done to explore, uh, to address parts of your past, to see how it may be showing up in your present? I know some of you might be sitting in your chair thinking, I don't know if I'm glad I came today, <laughs> and saying, Lisa, I have enough to deal with in my present. I can't imagine even taking time to look at my past. I mean, isn't my past my past? I mean, can't we just move forward and focus on the future? Yes, to a certain extent, but here's the risk. If you don't address your past, your past will most certainly address you. Human nature to want to avoid or deny or dismiss pain, um, to minimize it, 
and to say, well, our past is in the past, and, and if we are likely to do those things, it's going to come out sideways. And it could surface in our life in ways of unhealthy coping mechanisms, possibly anger, maybe an inability to um, connect intimately or deeply with another person in a relationship, inability to sustain relationships, bitterness, apathy, basically a life void of feeling truly alive and free. And I'm going to tell you what, I want a life that is fully alive and free. So where do we start? Well, as you know, the Bible has much to say about people who have made mistakes, and the Bible is full of a lot of dysfunctional families, and we're able to see that, and it's full of deep heartache, I, I think, because God wants us to find comfort in it that our experiences aren't exactly unique to the human condition. Well, this morning I want to take a letter, I want to take a look at a letter written by a man whose horrifying past was redeemed by the love and kindness of Jesus, and that man is Paul. Now, uh, we'll be looking at Titus 3 today, and it's a little book in the far right side of your Bible. If you brought it, you feel free to turn there in your uh, device, but um, real briefly, a background about, about Paul. Last week, we learned that he was a man that eventually in his life learned to delight in his weaknesses why? Because he saw that as an opportunity for the power of Jesus to rest on him. And so we learn that about Paul. But before Paul's radical conversion, he was a religious giant in Jewish culture. In fact, he was raised and trained under the best of rabbis. He had the best pedigree. He had the best, you could say, spiritual resume. He was quite an impressive man. So fast forward now, when you're thinking about after the death and resurrection of Jesus and this whole movement broke out, well, the movement of Jesus was contrary to being a good Jew. So what would a good Jew like, like Saul want to do at the time? His name was Saul at the time. Well, he was going to do everything in his power to shut it down, to stop it. And we hear a little bit about what that looked like in Acts 26. So I'm going to read that with you today. And this is Paul speak, Saul speaking, but now Paul. <laughs> he said, The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Now, I want you to notice he references his childhood, and he re references some of the religious culture, and I would say baggage, that he grew up in. Let's continue to read. Verse 9, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and they were put to death. I cast my vote against them. Would you like to welcome him to our Sunday service today in Kamaway? Not a guy that you really wanted around at the time. Continuing, verse 11, he said, Many a time I went from one synagogue to another, to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Now, I want you to sit in that for a second. 
this guy was a monster. This guy was like Darth Vader. He was like head of the mafia. And we don't always think of him like that because we just kind of know the redeemed Paul. But Saul, he was, he, he said he was a persecutor, blasphemer, violent man, worst of sinners. Now with that backdrop of his background and his past, I want to bring us into our our passage today in the book of Titus. Now, a little bit of the context of the book of Titus is that this is a letter that Paul, after he came to know Jesus, wrote to his, he calls him his son in the faith, Titus. So similarly, he had a son in the faith, Timothy. So he's writing Titus. And Titus was a letter that Paul wrote him to, to encourage him and to equip him for a special mission. And the special mission was to, to help plant churches in this island of Crete. And Crete was a place that was um, south of Greece. That's where it's located. And so Paul has harnessed now all his zeal and his passion and his obsessions for Team Jesus. And he wants to see this movement expand to more countries and continents. So uh, something to know about the Cretans is that we learned that they were liars, they were rebellious, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Sounds like someone who needs Jesus, right? Place that would be good to plant some churches. So how does Paul instruct Titus for what lies ahead? Well, in chapter 3, we see that Paul references, get this now, he references his own transformation through God. Let's pick it up in Titus 3, 3. He writes to Titus, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Now I want to draw your attention to this phrase, at one time we too. What is Paul doing here? He's saying, Titus, at one time, we too had a past. He's including them in that past. He's like, it's not just about the Cretans and how sinful they are. We too had a past, and we can't forget that. And then he goes on to be very specific about some of, some of their sins, some of their ugly stuff, and how they lived life before they met Jesus. And so simply... I want us to remember, we all have a past. We all have a past. Moving on to verse 4, I love this. He says, but when, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So he's saying, Titus, but when, but when the love and kindness of God our Savior appeared, Did he say, but when the criticism of God appeared, but when the condemnation or the judgment of God appeared? He said, no, the love and kindness of God our Savior. Why? Because that is what makes the change. That's the game changer. And he uses the word Savior. What's a Savior? Someone who rescues us out of our path of destruction. Paul is acknowledging, I was on a path of destruction, and God came down and saved us out of that. And he says, not because of great things we did. Remember, this was a guy with a great spiritual resume, 
but because of the mercy of God. So what do, what do I want you to take away? Change starts with the love and kindness of a Savior. Moving on. He says, he saved us through the washing of the rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What does he mean by washing of rebirth? Paul is saying, we are now born into a new family. And the good news of that is that your biological family no longer determines your future. But it's the family of God who does. And he's also saying, and this is a process of renewal that is done by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, Titus, this process of change and transformation, this process of renewal, renewal meaning to be made new, to be restored. He says this is happening ongoing through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says it's poured out on us generously. Why? Oh, I'm sorry. Let's get, let's get to my, I'm getting ahead of myself. So summary statements, he says, you have a new identity and the Spirit is making you new. So if I were to boil this down, I would say, you have a new identity and the Spirit is making you new. And something to mention about identity that I've learned. When we forget who we are, when we forget the truths about us in Jesus, those cracks in our identity, that's kind of like a devil's playground. He has a heyday with that. Just messes with us something terrible. And so Paul knew that in his own journey of being changed. He knew that identity was so important that he's trying to reinstill these, these statements into his son, his son Titus. And so he wants to remind him, we have a new identity and the Spirit is making us new. Why? So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things. Now, sometimes Paul can just, you know, dig into his big churchy language because that's kind of <laughs> how he was trained. But this meaning of justified, it's a legal term. It, 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 may, it basically means, hey, even though you are guilty of sin, even though you've done some things wrong, and that's true, God is looking at you and saying, I'm going to declare you innocent anyway, and I'm going to make you right with God. That's quite a deal. So Paul is saying we've been justified by the grace of God because we didn't earn it and we might become heirs. What's an heir? Someone who receives an inheritance and so that you may have hope of eternal life. And he wanted, it was so important, he wanted to stress these things. So what are these statements he's saying? He's saying, Titus, you are right with God. You're rich. Now, some might think that King Charles III inherited a great inheritance, if you've been watching anything with the, the queen in the last month. But he's got nothing on what we receive when we can be an heir with Jesus. And Paul wanted to remind him of that. Don't forget the inheritance and the hope that you have so you can be filled with hope. And I love it that there's another so that statement. Here's another why so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. To doing what is good. Your life, he's saying, our lives weren't changed just so that we could feel better about ourselves. Our lives were changed, why? Because God has given us a purpose to do good in this world. He says, out of your transformation, you can love and serve people out of the new person that God is creating you to be. 
So what is he saying? Your life has purpose. And, and Titus, I don't want you to forget that. In essence, Paul is reminding Titus, as you go and do this work on the island of Crete, remember, we all have a past. Change starts with the love and kindness of a Savior. You have a new identity. The Spirit is making you new. You are right with God. You're rich. You can be filled with, with hope. And your life has purpose. Now that is some good news. That is some excellent news. God helped him break free from his past, and he was very aware, keenly aware, of what that meant for him. And do you remember how our text started? Do you remember those, that phrase he wrote? He said, at one time we too. And I can just maybe imagine, you know, him saying, hey, Titus, remember who we once were? Remember that? And Titus maybe being like, yeah. Do you remember who you used to be, and they maybe just kind of just shrug their shoulders and say, thank God for his grace and his mercy in our life. So Paul was deeply aware of how God brings healing out of where we have been, and his, lives, and his life covered the areas we're talking about today. When we talk about those three areas of our past, Paul knew the decisions he had made in his life that caused pain and regret, and so and uh, self-inflicted pain in his own life. He was a trauma inducer to people, hunted people down. He also knew what it was like to grow up in a, a culture, uh, in a family that submitted to very strict rules and religion, and that only probably helped build kind of this obsessive man of who he was. And he was also no stranger to difficult circumstances or suffering. So seeing what God brought him out of, I think, can give us hope for our own lives. You know, when I look at my life, when I look at my deepest pain, when I think about my past, my barriers to growth, I would say for me, that has emerged probably mostly from some significant trauma in my life. Now, not to say I haven't made mistakes or that I sin and still do, and I've had my share of failures. Come on. Of course, we've all done that. But when it comes to the stuff that has been my source of my deepest shame, it would be these wounds. Now, I thought about, when it comes to my family of origin, I thought about coming up with this list, you know, slapping it up here and saying, this is my family line. But then when I thought about it, I pause because it's, it's rated R. And I'm like, I can't bring that into a Sunday morning mixed church service. So maybe I better rethink that. But I've had the privilege over many years of having some very meaningful conversations with my mom and dad and extended relatives as I have explored my family line. And if that's something you've never done, I, I encourage you to have those conversations if you have those relationships. But from those conversations, I have heard heartwarming stories of Christian virtue and moments of great accomplishment and courage and hard work. But on the flip side, I have learned a lot of ugly about my family as well. Both of my grandfathers were, just call them, they were bums. My mom has shared with me that um, her dad abused 
the kids and the family, emotionally, physically. She calls him a tyrant and a monster. He softened over the years, but that's what he was like when my mom was a kid. My dad's dad abandoned the family when my dad was four. My dad watched him walk out of the house and never come back. My dad had two older brothers and a mom, and they were left alone to fend for themselves in the 50s, when this was very rare. In my extended family, so outside my nuclear family, there's significant sexual brokenness, addictions, abuse in every form, secrecy, bitterness, and, and arrogance. My parents were born into a lot of junk, a lot of junk. Some of you have met them. I'm a big fan. There's no reason apart from the grace and mercy of Jesus that they should have sustained their 52-year-long and running marriage. But they have. They'd be the first to admit they're not perfect and that they've made mistakes. In fact, they were very open with us kids and said, hey, you need counseling? We'll pay for it. Because <laughs> you'll probably need it. <laughs> But growing up, I was the baby of three, and uh, people from the outside looking in would probably say, oh, those Ashtons, man, they're good, kind, wholesome people, you know, small-town values, church-going type, really well-respected in the community. And those things are true. But what most people did not know and did not know as I grew up was the earth-shattering events that unfolded when I was a kid. As I already mentioned, my family line battled a lot of addictions and sexual brokenness. And sin has harmful consequences. When I was seven, it was uncovered that my uncle had sexually abused myself and several other children in our family and outside of our family. I happened to be the one who told. As you can imagine, this was a colossal earthquake of immense proportions, devastating. And even as I share this part of my story, as I have many times, and even though I've done a lot of work in healing, saying, out, saying it out loud doesn't get any easier. I think one of the difficulties I face when I share this um, in public is that it can expose unresolved trauma in other people. It's triggering, I get that. It surfaces pain in our lives, especially the pain that we have stuffed down and not addressed, kind of bubbles up. And so I just wanna acknowledge that I understand that in a room this size, that that might be the reality today. And I want you to know that um, in the spectrum of emotions of that, I'm, I'm sitting with you in that. It could be other wounds or losses or places of pain that you've walked through um, that you just wish, gosh, I just wish it didn't have such a hold on me anymore, you know? And so it is for you that I even dare to offer my story today as a beacon of hope. And I stand here with joy because I too, like Paul, have been radically touched by the love and kindness of God, my Savior. I, too, have experienced the renewal of the Holy Spirit in my life, and he is continuing to renew me. 
that I too have come to realize that I have much good to offer this world. So how have I gotten here? I thought I'd share a few stories with you. I'll never forget in February of 2018 when I was staying in a hotel in downtown Kansas City. It was one of those nights where I could not sleep and I was just flooded with feelings of sadness and betrayal and disillusionment and disappointment and anger. I mean, it was just like stacking up. And, and my heart was heavy and my mind was spinning. Have you guys ever had a night like that? It's miserable. It's a miserable place to be. You're like, can the sun just come up so we can move on? But it was also hard because earlier in the day, I received an email from my counselor, which I never did before. And she said, hey, I just wanted to check in. Are you doing okay? And I thought, this must be bad <laughs> if she's emailing me if I'm okay. But earlier in the day, I, I was in her office and I was sitting on a comfy couch, my, one of my favorite places of that season of my life. And... Uh, we happened to peel off a massive layer of wounding in that session. And I often say that healing is like an onion. You peel off one layer, you keep going in life, and oh, there's another layer I guess I have to peel off. And so we peeled off that layer, and well, this layer was not one I wanted to address. And so, after leaving her office, I did what sounded like a great idea to me. I left town. I ran away. So I got in my car. I called up a friend. I said, hey, do you want to go away? I said, I'll pay. I'll get an overnight hotel. Let's just get out of Omaha. And so we did. And uh, we ended up driving three hours. And the Holiday Inn won our bidding on Priceline. But they messed up our reservations. And so lucky me, I ended up getting my own room. And I think God knew that I needed my own room that night. And so here I am in my room, and I can't sleep. It's the middle of the night, and finally I'm like, okay, Jesus, do you want to talk to me about this? And so thank God for the Gideons, because I did not pack my Bible when I decided to get out of town so quickly, but there was that little Bible in that drawer nobody ever opens in the hotel. And I pulled it out, and I sat at the desk that probably no one ever sits in <laughs> in those rooms, and I opened up to Isaiah 53. And I'm not going to go through that chapter with you today, but I would say in that moment Jesus met me. And I was reminded that Jesus was a man of sorrows. I was reminded that he endured the worst of pain on my behalf and the world. But here's the kicker. Jesus knew shame. Jesus knew my shame. Jesus understood shame. He knew abuse. He knew betrayal. What I was feeling was familiar to him. And in that realization, it just made me come undone. At 3 a.m., all alone in a hotel room. And God drew near. And I was comforted. Why? Because the love and kindness of God, my Savior, appeared. A God who bore the shame of all humanity so that we would not have to. And, you know, we turn, we turn to a lot of things to save us. And some of those things aren't bad in and of themselves. Some of them are. But ultimately, where are we going to turn 
when we need a deep soul need that only God can touch. Danton Allender says it well when he says, it is when my deepest desires are seen in light of what I can't do for myself that I turn again and again to the one who loves my ache and knows my sin better than anyone in the universe. Healing comes when our story is raw, bone deep, and full of hunger for what only Jesus can offer. Listen, if we want to change, we have to come to a place in our life where we realize we just can't do this on our own. We need help. And whether it's an ache, meaning a deep desire that hasn't been fulfilled, or sins of our past, we have to get honest about our stories. And in that season, in 2018, I got very honest, probably uh, most honest with my story. And I did that in the safety of my counselor and my family and my friends. It was a time when the kindness of Jesus uncovered more aspects that needed to be dealt with. And let me tell you, that wasn't fun. It's horrible. I was sad a lot of the time. And, and one way I, I decided to deal with the sadness, it, was, it wasn't really a conscious decision almost, is I started to paint. And I'm like, this is very uncharacteristic of me because I never painted, but for some reason it just uh, it comforted me. And in this process uh, through grief, I was led to take a huge step in forgiveness. Now, I don't think we can talk about breaking the power of our past without talking about forgiveness. So for me, as I sought God in prayer and as I worked with my counselor, I decided that I wanted to meet with my family member, the perpetrator, and have a meeting. I wanted to read him a letter because I had things I wanted to say to him in person. Now, let me be very clear. This is not something I recommend or advise for anybody in my situation. Um, it could do more harm than good, but uh, given the very unique circumstances in my life that were lining up, this is what I felt like I needed to do for my healing. So my parents arranged a meeting, and my parents went with me. And I would say it is the most agonizing moment of my life, compounded by sitting between uh, my mom and dad, who had to endure that pain all over again. It was, the most, it was the most agonizing, but it was also the most redemptive moment in my life. This moment was, for me, fighting for a soft heart. It was about naming the pain and consequences of the abuse, and most of all, it was about extending forgiveness. I'll never forget the moment I finished reading the three-paged, single-space typed letter. And it was silent, except for sniffles and the sound of Kleenex being pulled out of a box. 30 years later, as an adult, being able to receive genuine remorse and repentance, something, of a, something I know many of us never get from people who hurt us. In fact, my, my uncle asked for the letter, and as I slipped it across the table, he actually thanked me for the hard work that went into getting that together and reading it to him. I mean, it was incomprehensible that I was sitting in front of someone who should have gone to prison for life, and yet he was spared with a mercy from God I couldn't understand. 
but this was also a man who over the years had done a considerable amount of work to repair and restore the damage he had done to people in his life. Like the Apostle Paul, he too had been radically touched by the love and kindness of God our Savior. This is hard stuff, y'all. I acknowledge that. But we have to come to a place where we believe that either the cross of Jesus Christ is big enough to cover the sins of others, the sins of ourselves, the sins of me, or Jesus wasted his time and his suffering was for nothing. When I ended my letter, I looked my uncle in the face and the tears were just coming with him and I said, I bless you with the love, peace, and forgiveness of Jesus. I really meant it. Now, did I want to restore a relationship with him? Heck no, I didn't want to restore a relationship with him. Forgiveness doesn't mean a reinstatement of trust. I mean, when I left that day, I was kind of like, peace out, yo. I'll see you in heaven when everything's better. But the day of forgiveness was one of my many yeses when it comes to pursuing renewal. And just to go over some of what that could look like, I know everyone's journey is different, but here are a few ideas. I think first it starts with this having this growing awareness of how our past might be presenting currently right now. And so it's staying curious, being aware of moments we might be triggered. It's a lot of prayer, asking people to pray for us, being vulnerable, praying, deepening our relationship with God. It's seeking professional help if you need it support, accountability groups. It's diving in and really pursuing God in study, reflection. It could mean medication, because I understand sometimes our bodies need something that, that we don't have, and we need, we need some medication to help us cope. It could be retreats, exploring new practices, starting new habits, quitting old ones. The key we have to ask ourselves is, are we seeking God's spirit to guide us in our next steps of breaking the power of our past? And I've discovered that in this process, it requires an undoing of ourself. I love this quote by Tish. She says, it's a seemingly insane calling to cooperate with God in our own undoing. As we learned about this uh, last week, vulnerability, it's about being willing to be seen by other people, by God, so that we can receive the help that we need. And sometimes it feels like insanity, but I'm going to tell you it's worth it. It's so worth it. Engaging in our own journeys to freedom transforms us. For me, going through this journey, I tell you, I, I like me a lot more. I like being with me because of the healing that has happened. And I've noticed that, that God has cultivated a a depth, uh, and a courage, a greater capacity to love and to be loved, compassion, ability to trust God more deeply in mystery. It's hard work, and it continues to be hard work, but it's worth it. I love it how Paul reminds us in his letter to Titus, he says, our, our stories of transformation are not just for us. They are for the good of others. He said, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. 
He's believing that a redeemed past can be one of your greatest offerings to others. It can be your greatest good you offer to the world. It could be through lessons you've learned. It could be through character that has been formed in you. It could be compassion that has deepened that you can extend to other people. As you heal, you can be an agent of healing for others. Your past doesn't have to define you. You can be free and you can offer inspiring hope to others. Well, this time I want to invite Cliff forward. We're going to have a time of prayer together. We also have a prayer team. If you could come forward as well, prayer team. This can be a time of personal reflection for you, just you and God as you sit in your chair. It also can be a time where you come forward and say, hey, I need some prayer and I'd like to receive some prayer. And as I look who's up here, I would love for any one of these people to pray for me and I would feel, feel safe and blessed by that. Now, some of you might be thinking, I need prayer. But I ain't going up there. I understand. Let me give you three reasons why I usually say I'm not going up there. First reason I give is I might cry. Crying? God, God designed us to cry. He, he designed for the, have you ever thought this, for the tears to come out of your eyes? They could come out other places. But it came out of your eyes. Why? I think because he wants us to have a connection with someone that even when our words verbally we can't communicate, we're communicating through something God built in us that's, that's beautiful and significant. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Second, everyone is going to see me. That is true. None of us have the gift of invisibility. And that's okay. Hey, we're in church. I would hope that church is a place of all places that we can get re receive prayer, and that's normal. And third, you might say, eh, what I'm dealing with, it's not that big of a deal. Other people have it way worse. Hey, if you're hurting or if your heart's beating and you would just like someone to pray for you, that's significant. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't compare yourself to me. As I put on my Nike shoes this morning, let me say, just do it. Just do it. And if you decide to come forward, um, people will ask you two things. What is your name and what would you like Jesus to do for you? Just a simple question. As you think about breaking the power of your past, what would you like Jesus to do for you? And if you want to sit in your chair and pray and reflect, that's okay too. Cliff is going to play just silently um, strum for a while and then we'll close with a song together but I want to leave you with Paul's words to Titus he said these phrases at one time and now we can make it personal at one time I too how would you fill in that for your life at one time I too is there an area you want the love and kindness of Jesus to touch today and then he said, but when, but when the love and kindness of God, my Savior, appeared, so that I may have hope and do good. 
So Jesus, I simply ask that you refresh us with your love and kindness this morning. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you continue to renew us with your power. When you feel ready, if you want.